What's going on, everybody? Thanks for joining us on our ESPN Esports Valorant show every single Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern. Arda, Emily, Tyler, and Jacob with you. It is a jam-packed show. We have a lot to talk about, including Act 2. We're going to get to it all. But first things first, as we record this right now, we are live on Twitch, on Twitter, the ESPN app, and YouTube. If you happen to be listening to us in podcast form after the fact, thank you very much. But as we are live right now, the FaZe Clan Valorant Invitational is going on. And Tyler, we have had some upsets so far. <laughs> yes, we've had a lot of upsets. First off, TSM just finished their first series of the day. They barely beat the amateur team Bloom, uh, former CSGO pro Roka, kind of shining in that series. Even if TSM winning, Roka kind of was the main story on the arena, playing the best arena I've seen in pro play in a very long time. He had some amazing plays in that series, and even though they lost to TSM, uh, this Bloom team might be like a sneaky favorite to make it out, maybe playing C9 in the elimination match later today, if TSM can even beat C9. Like, this, this Bloom team is very good, but in terms of actual upsets, uh, it was not the greatest debut so far for FaZe Clan, who are in the titular tournament of theirs. Uh, the full Overwatch, or four, four former Overwatch League pro team, with Baby Bane Rock is officially making their pro debuts, did not get off to a great start. They lost 2-0 to amateur team China Win, who've only been playing together not so long. China Win was a team kind of built around uh, Som, who is now playing for Homeless, who are not in the phase of Invitational Tournament, but yeah, they lost to Decop, who's another former off, but obviously very uh, startling a bit. I know I don't think people want to overreact because it was their first match. Rockus and Baby, neither of them popped off or did well. Especially on the second map, Rockus was held down under, believe I believe, under 10 kills on the jet, mm -hmm. which is nothing, uh, that's not what you want to see with, from your jet player. That's what you see in, like, iron jet players who'd insulate jet and then go, like, 5 and 22. So, <laughs> I, I need to see them play, though. Like, that's the one thing about this phase of Invitational. We're only seeing a sliver of the games. A lot of these matches are being played off stream. Uh, but I think the big match coming up is 100 Thieves versus Phase. Uh, it's a do-or-die match. Both teams lost their first match. Uh, 100 Thieves has been careening. They do not look good. They look uh, kind of lost. They got smacked down by Immortals in their first match. So FaZe versus 100 Thieves might be a loser-leaves-town match. Where I think FaZe will take some time, even if they lose 100 Thieves. They're going to look at their roster and kind of look forward to it and kind of build on this tournament as their first you know, real event together. Well, 100 Thieves, they cannot lose this match. 100 Thieves... They've been playing together for over a month now. I believe two months now. They've been in uh, a plethora of tournaments. If they lose to FaZe, it actually might be time to look at maybe making some changes. And I was surprised at how, like, lackluster they looked against IMT. Like, I'm not so... I don't think Immortals winning is an upset whatsoever uh, because I think Immortals are a really good team. Yeah, they're better. But the fact that they were, like, 13-1 mm. on Ascent, that's not great like i was expecting this match to be a lot closer than it was so let's also mention that immortals is experimenting with their roster as well mm -hmm. right dicey is in in place of of uh 
Bjor. he in place of Bjor Lulu. Yeah, he's in place mm-hmm. of that. And of course, he was part of their uh, sub roster. So a little bit of a change there for Immortals. But going back to Face Clan for just a second here. Uh, one thing that is of interest are the roles. So Baby Bay was playing the Cypher in that in that game. Yeah. Uh, Rockus was playing Jet, as you mentioned. Zachary was playing Sage. And yeah, like like you mentioned, this is the first time we are seeing this full roster play. Uh, it may be a little embarrassing to have that result in their own tournament in the very first game. But all is not lost. But I am looking forward to that 100 Thieves phase game. So it'll be very interesting to see the tournament continues. Uh, we will talk about that a little bit later on, though. Why don't we talk about Act 2? So another interesting part of this was the buildup to this week because for all intents and purposes, the competitors of this tournament thought that as Killjoy was being released as part of Act 2, that Killjoy might very well be a part of this tournament. And in fact, at one point during planning, Jacob, it was. Killjoy was a part of it. Yeah. And then whatever happened, whether it was bugs for the agent or whether Riot determined, you know what, we just don't want to showcase this agent in this tournament uh, so soon or whatever the case may be, it got wiped. And that was probably at least 24 hours in. So like play- players on that day when Killjoy came out were labbing that agent hard. I heard multiple reactions from players across multiple orgs. And then all of a sudden, Killjoy's gone. So what yeah. do you make of just, like, the, the lead-up of, fa- of the phase invitation leaving? I mean, I think... This is not surprising, right? Like, usually when a new champion comes out in League of Legends, they're disabled uh, for, like, a couple of weeks until players get used to it. I think here there was probably a disconnect between the phase clan and Nurture Gamer organizers who and Riot themselves, right? Like, I think that there was probably a communication lapse here somewhere in the middle, um, cause if this, this was a riot first party tournament, I would be stunned if Killjoy was enabled right off the bat with like how close the release of, of, uh, or her agent versus the actual tournament day. So yeah, it seems like there was just a breakdown in communication here. Uh, I, I think it's the right call for her not to be enabled. It seems like there are a few bugs that need to be ironed out, um, and giving people to, even if she's like not top tier, by the way, like it's still bugs, bugs are bugs and they shouldn't be in competitive tournaments. Yeah. Like. I, I think it was the right call. It just seemed like there was some sort of breakdown in communication between Riot actually, and, and Nurture Gamers. I actually know what happened. Uh, so go, go talked talk to some people. Uh, apparently, there was a lot of bugs being reported mm-hmm. uh, to Riot on day one of her games. Some, you know, some Molly placements that were kind of bugged out, and they were running internal QA tests in terms of the team. So Riot decided... They didn't want to chance it, even if they could fix all the bugs in that one day, in that 24-hour period. It wasn't worth, you know, having a competitive integrity moment where something didn't work correctly with Killjoy in a, you know, $50,000 tournament, which they decided to just cut her out. And which sucks for the teams, because there was, from what I know, a majority of the teams were running Killjoy in scrims, TSM. A lot of the bigger teams had, you know, Killjoy on the mind. And I, from what I know, there was a lot of teams practicing uh, triple intel with Killjoy, Sova, and Cypher with the two other positions as a fill. So they all had to change their game plans on the day of, even though obviously it's not too big of a deal because these teams have been playing these compositions, these maps for the last month or so. So it's not a huge deal, but I, it sucks that we're not seeing Killjoy, but I do think for the competitive integrity, for the cleanest of play to see the best play possible, this was the right decision. I think they've learned from years of League of Legends and also seeing like uh, other games make this mistake where you do have something that you know is super buggy and is in a competitive event and actually ruins like all the competitive integrity of that event. 
Like, I think it's absolutely the right call because yeah. like, I mean, if you think about it, Riot had, um, I believe it was Gragas who's disabled that 2015 worlds, despite the fact that I believe they had, in, people had encountered the bug with him before when it happened on the main stage, it actually did affect a match. So then they banned it for the rest of the event, but it was mid event. Like, I think people, another thing about Valorant is that it's, we're still not there in terms of what we would want to see for like a competitive scene from the actual like game itself and the, the interface and the HUD and the spectator and all that stuff, but then also like abilities and features within the game. So I, I mean, I'm the miscommunication about it sucks, but I am so glad that they, if they were having a ton of bugs with her, that they decided not to use her in this tournament. Yeah, I get the whole, from a marketing perspective, so many people watching this and then being enticed to play Killjoy. I understand that, but you you are all absolutely right. It was the right call. But now this begs the question, and when we're talking about Killjoy, how does Killjoy fit into the meta? The first person that I asked about this, actually, was Sabrosa. A full interview with Sabrosa will be available on YouTube.com slash ESPN Esports as soon as this show concludes. But here is what Sabrosa said when I asked him about Killjoy in the meta. So let's talk about Killjoy. Uh, what are your initial impressions of the agent? I tweeted about it actually like an hour in. I was like, I was in the server with our team, and I was like, first of all, this alt is busted. That alt, <laughs> if if you have like just just a decent brain, like that alt will give you a free round. You know, like it covers so much of the map, and there's really no response to it right now. It's like I get it. People will be good at countering in the future when they start adapting, but really, when it gets the whole like site. There's really nothing you can do. Yeah, you can slow it. Yeah, you can molly it. Yeah, you can do this. But those mollies and slows are seven seconds, and the ult is 13 seconds. So it's like you always have the upper hand when you have the ult if you use it right. So at first, my first impression was the ult completely busted. And I'd say it's an upgrade to Cypher. Like Cypher has his trips, but I, the reason I say it's an upgrade is because you can grab his turrets from across the map. And he has um, another little thing that could be used as a trap. So it's literally an upgraded Cypher, better ult better trips better like everything so it's like i think the champ is a little bit broken right now but it'll definitely need a little bit of tweaking to be like normal and watching a lot of streams it seems like a lot of top players are playing killjoy in conjunction mm -hmm. pardon me with cypher so like it's almost like a complimentary thing do you think that we're going to see a lot of that or more generally what what do you think a good killjoy included comp would look like i think you definitely need duelist because Having Cypher and Killjoy in the same comp, you might lack in the the, the duelist area or the support area. Yeah, you will have like most of the map covered for information, but what are you going to do with that information if you don't have the chance to kill them or execute like in the bomb site? So I do think there's something you can do with Cypher and Killjoy. Maybe that will work, but I'd say you will lack in the duelist. So I'd say maybe like have a Phoenix with it, you know, like a Reyna comp with it, like people that can frag out while having all this information for sure. I'm curious how, like, you don't have to give us, uh, give us as much information as you're willing to give us. I know that okay. people want to keep trade secrets, but so, yeah. so, so first day of scrims, Killjoy is out. TSM's about to uh, lab with Killjoy, okay? Like, does everyone get a turn on Killjoy? Is there one person you specifically target? Like, how does that work, integrating Killjoy into the TSM ecosystem? Well, first of all, we all have different playstyle in our team, so... And we have like Cutler on Cypher already. And like I said earlier, it's like an upgrade to Cypher. Okay. So it's a similar champ and he's already played it since the game came out. So it was pretty obvious to us that Cutler had to play it. If we were going to replace Cypher for Killjoy, I'm not saying we will. I'm not going to 
tell any secret, but if we were to replace like a Cypher champ for Killjoy, it would definitely be Cutler because he's used to champs like that, gather information, trip or flank, uh, you know, I, I think it just suits him well, like his play style. And we have people that are aggressive like me, Drone, and Wardell with the op. So it, it doesn't suit us that well because we don't have like the abilities to like play make, for example. So we definitely like took a step back, like thought about it like just 30 minutes and it was the obvious answer, Cutler, for sure. So that full interview, like I mentioned, very well spoken, by the way, is Sabroza. That's available at youtube.com slash ESPN Esports at the end of this show. Tyler has had the most experience. I'll fully admit that I've played Killjoy in the range. I have not spent the $10 to buy and unlock Killjoy. Tyler has and played a few games. I've played with Tyler as he's been Killjoy. But Tyler, your experience so far? Uh, it was a business expense, hard. It was a business expense. It was a $10 <laughs> well worth to get Killjoy. Uh, so far... So, obviously, I think most people have come to this conclusion. On defense, she is nutty. Uh, her mollies, when you can detonate them from far away, are insane. Especially with if you have your turret up, so you know when to activate perfectly the detonation of your molly. Is her on defense, along with Cypher, is just Lockdown City. You can lock down both sites quite well and just have the other three roam about. But you can feel very safe in those two hands. On offense, she's a bit awkward before posts or before planting. Before planting, it's a lot of, like you're trying to like maybe bait with your turret, throw it out there, see if people will turn to it. Like it's a lot of trying to like make it happen. Or you, as you probably should, as we we'll probably will see, is hold on to most of your abilities until you plant, get the plant down, and then kind of build your fortress there with the mollies, with the turret, with the alarm bot. But Getting onto site with her before planning is awkward, similar to Cypher. She's not as good as a flinker, in my opinion, as Cypher, especially if, you know, he has tripwires, the camera, all that shebang. So, defensively, she's a nut. Her ult is, I think I need to see it in pro play, because right now, like, you know, playing against silvers and golds and all that, like, you're not going to really see the full extent of of, of Killjoy's ultimate in, in full use. I want to see pros play. I'm sure I've talked to a few pros who say it's 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 unstoppable, especially on sites like Split and when uh, it can push off a team directly off site, and especially with that kind of coordination. Right now, I think most people are complaining about her molly. Her molly does seem a bit too strong just because of how far you can be away from detonating it. Uh, it's it's almost an insta-kill if, like, let's say you put it where everyone always plants on the certain spots, detonate it, they can't plant, game over. So I think the turret, turret's fine. I think the alarm bot's fine. I think the ultimate, some people said it was a bit too overpowered. I, we need to see a lot more information in pro play and other situations to see if the ultimate really is that powerful or if it can be outplayed. I think there's a lot of uh, teching and, and labbing you have to do to make that ultimate or, or counter that ultimate. But I think the molly is the thing where if they're going to change something, they have to change that it goes through walls. It should not go through walls. That's just silly. It should not go through walls, <laughs> especially when it's a thing of, like, the, the counter to it is that you're supposed to see it. So if it's it, – it should not go through walls. If they take if they make that distinction away and they take away its uh, uh, ability to go through walls, I think it might be a bit better. Uh, overall, she's a fun character. I like playing her. I'm still going to play Ray. She is the uh, – she is the main to my heart. I will never go away from her. Her boom bot is way better than the alarm bot, but – Killjoy, not as overpowered as people thought, as usual. I think every agent we're going to get, people are going to say this, they're going to break the game. She yeah. doesn't break the game, but she does have, she might need a bit of tweaking, a bit of tweaking to pull her down. We'll have to see pro play first with her, though. Jacob and Emily, let's place a bet on how many months it will take before Tyler abandons Raze. Never. 
I don't think he will. He was still playing Rays after and a half. The really serious here. So. I'm putting down regarding, month and a half. Regarding Killjoy, though, I'm really looking forward to seeing some of these triple vision comps that people are talking about because I think that's really interesting, especially like I, I don't know what maps people are running on them, but I'm thinking something as like open as Ascent would be really interesting with that. So one thing that we did experience, actually, which caught me off guard, was Tyler popped the Killjoy alt. We were in Ascent main, right, going on to... Which side is that? That's B. That's A, right? No, B. That's B. On to B. And Jet was hanging by where the door closes. The alt activates. Jet is caught in it. But then Jet alts and then knifes us all as we walk through into the into Boathouse. So that the alts hmm. still work there, even though they are disarmed. So watch out for that if you're uh, facing a Killjoy. Uh, other things that came with Act 2, of course... Deathmatch. Oh, how I love buying an Odin oh, and just so walking worse. around. Get this away. Was go away. Go I am away. so happy. You and the operator players. How much power I feel just wandering around on any map. Odin in hand. Say hello oh, to my little friend. God, and then just the run ra- roughshod on any map. Oh, it's Beautiful. Worse. You're the worst. You wanted. You were in the. You're the worst. You and shot. You and shotgun players. You and shotgun players are the worst type of player in this game. Yeah, actually, I'll say the only thing that hurts worse than Odin is getting like buckied to death. (laughs) Yeah, that stinks too. (laughs) That said, the Odin's the greatest gun in the history of FPS. So let's just uh, all agree on that. Uh, I mean, the Sinatra might agree with you, but that's about it. What, uh, Deathmatch is fun. You will not get any of us to agree with you. I will say this. Deathmatch is fun. Uh, Tyler, Mm -hmm. you've mentioned this, uh, in some of our group chats. Deathmatch is fun for, like, aim practice. Yeah, no, it's, that's why you, that's why you should be ever, like, that's why you don't buy the Odin. That's why you buy a rocket (laughs) pole. Test your aim before you go into a game, Arda. Going around spraying people with the Odin isn't warming up. I mean, I guess for you it's warming up because that's what you it's buy. Therapy. Always. I call it therapy. I call it therapy. That's what yeah. I call it. Just walking around. And <laughs> it's great. It's fun. I think I think there's some things that can be added to. I do think maybe the UAV, I've, I've seen some people say the UAV makes it a lot less fun where people can kind of pre-fire where they know people are going to be. That takes away with the fun of it. Uh I, I think it's been fine. I, I've played it I, versus uh, Spike Rush. If I'm going to warm up for a competitive match, I'm going to go to. I will play Deathmatch before Spike Rush. Spike Rush does have its uh, charm. I would say it's more fun. I, I, a more fun casual mode is definitely Spike Rush. I think Deathmatch needs a bit, a few more tweaks to make it perfect. Uh, UAV, obviously, uh, I would ban everyone who buys an Operator or Odin in that mode. Just make it, just make it rifles and pistols. Like I, I just go away. No one want. No one cares if you can do an. You can just buy an operator and deathmatch and kill everyone. Go away. I hate you. You're the worst. Oh, everyone's back is turned to you. Congratulations, person in heaven. Would you do it like Spike Rush, where everyone is forced the same gun? Like if you go into a deathmatch, it's a randomized. Or, or, or randomize it. I would really like that. I would like that combination of yeah. the two because, like, I agree. I like deathmatch for like rifle practice not yeah. for you know uh like and and as a warm-up like i really prefer deathmatch over spike brush but at the same time yeah like i i actually would think a combination of the two would be really nice but that's also because that's what i'm looking for from the mode right which might not be what other people 
want from it because that's why I played Spike Rush in the first place. Like before getting into a match, I'd be like, okay, like this is really stretching my competency in terms of like it's forcing me to go on guns that I might be uncomfortable with and try to get better at them. And I really liked that about Spike Rush. Um, so yeah, I would I would like an option to have a combination of the two. I'll say I would really like that actually. I will say this, Emily playing deathmatch definitely has shipment vibes to it it does that's that's why i like the style of deathmatch you know like <laughs> you, you, there's one one thing you have to do and it's kill everyone Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, shipments the greatest game mode in the history of the, video games the greatest uh ever <laughs> only we know what you guys are talking about here it's no a, that's a yeah, call, sorry, for all of you call no. of yeah. league fans that shows on wednesday yeah. Let's stick with Valorant. Uh, yeah. We have a lot to talk about in EU as well. Let's let's unpack the mandatory cup. G two win again. Impressive mm. showing from Bonk. For Bonk fans out there, I had an in, I had a chance to interview Yasin, their star player. That is up at youtubecom Esports now. And Tyler, I know that you've been saying a lot about mm. the philosophy of certain EU teams that are looking for a star player plus a, a, a winning formula. Yasin doesn't have the followers, but let me tell you, if there is one person that you would look like a diamond in the rough, sort of has the potential to be a uh, charismatic leader of a team, the face of a franchise kind of thing, Yasin definitely has the attributes. All he's missing is the followers, honestly. Yeah, I think there's a lot of players in the European scene. I think, uh, I mean, if you look at artists, I mean, he kind of, I think having G2 attached him, being on the super team with... Uh, Maxwell winning all these things like he's grown in followers just you know every single day uh, especially like if you know a fanatic picks up his scene or a mad lions picks up his scene and they start winning the followers will come it's very similar it's all sports art I mean, it doesn't matter if it's football basketball esports whatever sports it be tiddlywinks it doesn't really matter if you win the fans will follow it doesn't matter if you're as uh, your personality is as boring as dirt or if you're the most charismatic person alive Winning solves everything, and if you're in a big org while you're winning, you're going to be uh, in a game that's getting views, you will become popular. So for the bunk guys, I do hope they stay together a bit more. Uh, we know that Fabrikian and Party Paris have dissolved, or, or their original teams have dissolved for a possible super team, which we will discuss very shortly. But for bunk, uh, I'm excited to see them more. Uh, the, my only thoughts on the mandatory cup, we talked about it a lot during the European Power Ring shows on Monday with me and Emily. Uh, the main takeaway for me is that G2 needs to get pushed. They need a rival. They need to actually get pushed to actually play a new composition in the grand final of best of five. And the mandatory cup format sucks. Europe needs better formats. Their formats, for the most part, have been quite underwhelming. The phase, Look at the, the phase <laughs> tournament. It's so well made. As soon as I saw that, I was like, why can we not have this in Europe? I have so many Europe rants. Yeah. So do you the, think yeah. phase is going to set the tone? Do you think that all future tournaments should be like the phase invitational? No, like I don't think. Right? I just think, I, I mean, every yeah. NA tournament's been great. Like, PAX has been great. Uh, yeah. This has been great. Like, it's not, like, it, yeah, it, it's it's kind of silly. And then the next EU uh, uh, Ignition Series tournament is a 16 tournament. So I don't know what's going on in Europe. It's I, I do understand that there's less pro teams, so there's less incentive to have, like, 12 invited teams or have a 16-team tournament. A 16 tournament seems fine, especially when you have Giants, G2, Team Liquid, and all those big orbs. But for, for me right now, I'm just kind of looking for this transition period for Europe to go over. Hopefully the new super team mm -hmm. that's arriving. We can talk about that, right, I guess, right now. Who with is the super team? Let's go through Carlos it right is now. seeing ghosts. Carlos is seeing ghosts, Sarda. He's seeing ghosts. Uh-huh. And why, why would you say that? Does that transcend esports, Tyler? 
Uh, uh, Fly Phoenix Fly 2019 League of Legends World Championship in Paris, France. G2, the 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 Golden Road, the perfect year order. They were win every championship, every tournament they participated in. Goes to Paris. The fans are on their time in the crowd. All the little European fans are crying G2, G2, and then they play against FPX, and FPX slaps them around the map. And all the fans go home crying. I saw at least 20 fans crying that night, Arda. And now FBX, the Chinese organization who wants to go global, is apparently about to strike and go into the European Valorant scene to make a team to take down Carlos and G2 once more. So FPX, I mean, Emily, I it looks like FPX is going to be entering the scene. It looks like it could be a super team that they're amassing. What do you think this is going to do to the EU scene? I mean, I think the there are a lot of, like, the the next Ignition series being a 16 tournament kind of points out a lot of the problems right now in Europe. And I ranted about this on Tyler's show, so I'll try to be more calm about it on this show. But basically, I think the most frustrating thing that's going on in Europe right now is that teams are not willing to pick up full sides. They want to pick and choose their own star players. Um which is frustrating because with not a lot of orgs getting involved in the scene right off the bat, like uh, Sue Collins wrote something for, I believe, GG Recon, where she talked to Fnatic about how they were looking um, to pick up the entire lineup of Fabrican, but then they decided not to. Uh, you have these really creative, interesting teams like Fabrican, like Party Parrots, who come up together and they want to get picked up together, and no big European org is willing to pick them up together because they want to do their own like individual scouting and take their time. But the end result in that is that you have these teams constantly coming together and disbanding and not really staying together. So then it's really difficult to have like successful tournaments because you you constantly have players either cycling through teams because they're getting plucked for uh, other things. And it's just, it's kind of a mess. It's frustrating. And on top of the format problems that Europe has had with, you know, single ELIM, random map selection, like that is poop. Uh, and Europe deserves better. And yeah, but the FBX roster does look like fire. I'll say that. Uh, it basically takes the, the best parts of Fabrican and, and Party Parrots and kind of merges them together on one lineup. The only thing I'd be worried about with this uh, squad is communication. But other than that, like it, it looks like a stacked lineup. I like that they're expanding more into the Western audio, or like to the Western esports uh, industry. You know, like the I've, I've covered extensively what happened with them in Counter Strike and Flashpoint, and I think like generally that was well intentioned, but very haphazard in terms of they rushed through a process and a bunch of other things happened with visas and coronavirus and everything else, and they ended up like getting screwed. But like they tried to get a Danish team also in in. European Counter-Strike, the team that is heroic. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I like that FPX is kind of expanding their brand rather than doing what some of the Chinese esports teams has done, where they just basically sign Chinese FPS teams that are not good. Um, so, yeah, I mean, trying to trying to pick up players in, in one of the Western regions who are more competitive is a, is a good by me. I think that's a better way to sort of reach your or make your brand more Western relevant. It'll also be interesting to see what they do when, because I assume what they're going to do until they're told not to is do a similar thing to what T1 and Gen G are planning to do, where they'll have a Korean, like they have a Korean side and then they have a Western side. I assume what FPX will do is something similar where they will have a Chinese team when the game comes to China and they'll have a Western team and then they'll decide 
how they want to go forward when Riot inevitably tells them that you can't have sister teams. I can tell you that uh, sources have told me that they are not the only organization that are thinking like this. In fact, many organizations are definitely considering multiple teams looking at what T1 is doing and what they are allowed to do and similarly try that model until they are told not to, which could happen in the distant future. We don't know when the official ecosystem is going to drop. So the moment, the moment that it is. Yeah, and we don't know. Right. So that that was my point. The mo the moment that coronavirus calms down enough for Riot to organize an offline val international Valorant tournament will be the moment that those teams are told to stop. Well, until then, oh, I believe we have gotten the red screen for just a second. We might be back. Let me just make sure for a couple seconds here. It flashed. We have our fingers crossed. We are waiting. We are waiting, and it looks like we're okay. It looks like we're fine. We're going to continue on with the show. The red screen will not defeat us today. It will not. You will not rear your ugly head on our ESPN Esports Valorant show. Let's continue. E, um, EU moving over across the pond to our neck of the woods, North America. Phase Invitational, we'll get to that in a second. 30 Bomb Summer Cup happened. Sentinels win. They cement themselves, uh, Tyler, in your rankings. Um, yep. And so they looked very impressive. The, the thing is, is they're, like you've talked about how exciting they are, but they just looked impressive in this tournament. Uh, especially, like they mentioned, other teams are experimenting a little bit. Maybe they're trying agents they don't normally try. Maybe they're trying strategies uh, uh, for, for retakes that they don't normally do, or they've been scrimming and labbing, and they, they look at these kind of tournaments and say, well, maybe we're not going to take it as seriously as the giant pot tournaments. But still, you have to give credit to Sentinels here. Yeah, Sentinels looked great. Uh, I just heard a story say about how the Sentinels Valorant team came together, where uh, Sentinels, I talked to Sentinels CEO Rob Moore, talked to Sinatra, essentially kind of uh, depicting how it all came to be. Uh, Rob Moore used to be the owner and head of the Los Angeles Gladiators, who Sinatra has beaten down various times in his Overwatch League career. Uh, that's kind of where you first saw Sinatra beating down his team, seeing how Sinatra kind of became this from this, you know, abrasive teenage kid who was known for his toxicity, moving over to being a, a team leader, world champion, World Cup champion, MVP. And then when uh, when the Sentinels broke apart from Cronky Sports, left Overwatch League behind, and Sinatra was looking towards Valorant, it just seemed like a shoot. It seemed like a perfect deal, especially with. Uh, Overwatch League franchises who had a hands in Valorant not being able to sign him. It kind of felt serendipitous. They signed him as their centerpiece, and everything from then has been a roller coaster ride of excitement, over aggressive plays. Uh, ever since they got Dapper, they kind of he's kind of been the anchor that's kind of put everything together and made this team the the top team it is today. Uh, while they have won the last two tournaments, uh, Thirty Bomb being more of a tune up to the phase in phase invitational. I don't think they are the undisputed kings of North America. As I've said many of time now, I think anyone in the top 10 can be anyone else in the top 10 on any given day. We just saw Bloom uh, almost beat TSM, who are an amateur team. I don't think people were talking about Roka 24 hours ago, but now everyone's going to be talking about Roka after today. He had an amazing performance on Reina. He's going to be a big star. China win, taking out FaZe. And Gen G just beat Sentinels in the first game of their of their series. So they're not they're not unbeatable, especially if Gen G, who's 
a team that doesn't have that, you know, ace player. They don't have that Sinatra or Shazam, essentially. Uh, but they have a really great team dynamic, and they play as five, where any of those five can carry on the day, and they play really structured Valorant. So I think this tournament has really, and I think the last few tournaments have really shown us that we have a very deep region in North America right now. We have a lot of teams who are eight out, eight out of tens, nine out of tens. I don't think we are even close to seeing a true dy- dynasty team yet. It's probably going to take us a year or two, especially with international play coming up and having more interregional play to really see if, uh, and a few transfers, obviously, to see, you know, make some moves, make the perfect teams possible to really see our first real true number one king of North America. But I really love Sentinels play. I call them the most exciting team in the world. And even though they lost to Gen G in game one, I'm still going to stick to it. They are by far my favorite team to watch. All five of them do crazy, unorthodox things. And when a lot of people are trying to copy everyone else, they do their own thing and execute perfectly when they play a aggressive Valorant. And aggressive Valorant's always fun to watch, but when it's executed beautifully like Sentinels do, it's the best. it's the best thing to see in Valorant today. To the parody in North America that you just mentioned, I say, good. Let there be competition. Let there be healthy competition for months and months and tournaments to come. Now, speaking of uh, North America and EU, uh, you, Tyler, and Jacob have reported on uh, Team Liquid's entry into Valorant and the players that they uh, may or may not be picking up anytime soon. However, Jacob, uh, there is a little bit more... Team Liquid adjacent Valorant scuttlebutt, shall we call it. Uh, What's going on with some of the Counter-Strike players? So Nitro recently stepped down for Grim, who is a younger player, to come in to Team Liquid's Counter-Strike team. Uh, Nitro is... This is a big deal because Nitro is, like, one of the veteran part of this roster. If you know anything about Team Liquid's Counter-Strike team, him and Elise have basically been the basis of that roster, no matter how many roster changes they've made for the past, like, five or six years. They've been there basically since the beginning. Um, and they were, like, the kind of the, the core, like, the rocks in this team. And so Nitro stepping down is, like, this huge deal. And the reason I wanted to talk about it on this show is because... Uh, he stepped down, and all he's been playing recently is Valorant um, on on stream. Uh, and and he is gonna stay with Liquid for now as a streamer until he like figure out figures out what he wants to do um, career wise, whether that becomes full time streamer like someone like Shroud who had similar pedigree to him uh, before becoming a streamer uh, in Counter Strike, or if he if he wants to go compete in either CS or Valorant. But I mean, he's really good. Um, if you remember, we did that stream a, a few months ago where we did our dream team picks and both him and Elise were on my team, uh, cause they're both yeah. very good at Valorant. Um, I think that transition for him would be seamless and I think he'd get paid significant amounts of money right now, um, by a team that would want to get in just cause he, he is, he may like be the first tier one Counter-Strike player to make the change, uh, in my opinion, because Team like it's been a, a top team team for the past like three years two three and a half years. So yeah, I mean... His prospects in Valorant, I feel like if he wants to make that switch, they're going to be very high. I think many people will be a calling, so it's uh, I guess it's really up to him. But I'm trying to get some time to speak with him uh, this week anyway about the end of his time at Liquid um, and, and sort of like write the write the story on that. But if I if I talk to him, I certainly will ask. And he's also not old. I think the thing is, I think a lot of people, I actually thought in my mind, it's like he's been around for so long. He was an in-game leader. When you think of in-game leaders, you think of older players. More, but he's only 24. Like, that's the thing, like, he's 24, which is, you know, in League of Legends, that would be super old, that would be, you know, nearing retirement, but I think in FPS games, 
he still has a longer tail. Like, he has still a few years of his prime left. Like, if he went devouring, it's a player leaving not not at his peak, but near that peak. So if he did go to Valorant, whoever could get him, it would take probably a very big deal, a deal that's probably bigger than a Counter-Strike team would have to offer him to get him to switch games. But if he did switch to Valorant, it could be a moment we look back on in five years and say, that was the moment that things changed in Valorant. Or that was the moment that this organization changed their way in Valorant. Or it could be a situation where people are like, man, can you believe that they overpaid for a player who's never, who didn't play Valorant professionally and they gave him, you know, a million-dollar deal or whatever, and he just flamed out. Like, I was—I would love to see it, though. I, I, I've heard murmurs of, of Tier 1 CSGO players looking at Valorant, checking on Valorant, playing it daily off the stream, waiting to see if Valorant's going to become this big thing, and if it does hit big, they would switch over as Tier 1 players from Counter-Strike. But we haven't seen it happen yet. We've seen a lot of, you know, we've seen Hiko, but Hiko hasn't been Tier 1 in forever. He was... You know, he was he was at the tail end of his career. Hazed as Hayes and Keller, as Jacob has said many, many times on this show. Keller get dumped on by so many people. <laughs> that, that you know they aren't weren't the prime But if Nitro did leave, it's not only you only not only get a great in-game leader and a player who's still relatively young and who still has a lot to give and who's still probably very hungry to win a world championship because Team Liquid, the one thing they didn't do was win a major. So it's not like Scoodle where Scoodle has that world championship where Nitro is still vying for his real first world world title in a game. So yeah, I mean, I, I would love to, I would love to see it. All the Counter Strike players who have made the switch to Valorant are uh, one of three things. They are either ones who were ascending in CS and mm-hmm. have a bigger financial opportunity right now in the short term in Valorant. I'm thinking like Wardell, etc., who like could have gone on to be something in CS, but it would have probably taken longer than just jumping the ship and being a star mm-hmm. in a new game. Uh, they're either super washed, like the the likes of uh, Hazed and, and Cutler and some others, and or uh, or like they're past their prime in the sense of I don't think he's washed, but past their prime in, uh, in in terms of performance, like Mixwell and Scream, who probably would not be on good teams again uh, in CS, or or they're banned, which is AZK oh. and Brax, right? Like it's it's one of three people we have not seen someone uh, really at the top of CS make that switch. And I, you know, I, I know Simo was talking about it when he was on the show with us a few weeks ago, but like that is the straw and the camel's back that needs to break. And, and I feel like if Nitro made that switch, I think he would be that, that uh, straw that, break, uh, that breaks the camel's back. So speaking of Cutler and Hazed, uh, obviously TSM participating in the Face Clan Valorant Invitational. We're going to break that down in a second, but I do want to throw to a clip. Uh, from my interview with Sabrosa. Again, that's going to be airing in full, uh, posted on YouTube as soon as this show ends. I asked him about the rivalry with Sentinels, and yes, in the interview, not in this clip, uh, I asked him all about fighting Zoms. We talk about it at length. If you care about that, go watch the clip. But I asked him more specifically about this rivalry that's brewing between TSM and Sentinels. Here's what he had to say. So the most recent results, certainly everyone has seen that Sentinels have gotten the upper hand. They seem to be a very aggressive team, Mm -hmm. very exciting team to watch, and the series are fun to watch as well. But from your point of view, when you look back on those series, whether it's the, um, uh, what is it, the 30-bomb GG Cup, the one before that as well, the matchups against Sentinels, what do you attribute those losses to? Uh, I'd say we didn't adapt fast enough for sure. Uh, For example, like we scrim against every other team in North America, but we don't really scream against Sentinels. So when we did actually start playing them in matches, I think we played them twice in the same tournament. We did not adapt at all. Like the first time we played them, they really had a clean win against us. 
and we did not have like a response to their like you said aggressive play which i agree like they they really get you off guard with those three-man plays even on ct they're really aggro so we did not adapt fast enough and they took like a big lead on us and it kind of hurt our confidence and we thought it was like kind of our kryptonite so we would come into the next match already like defeated in a sense but right now we like reviewed the demo we rewatched it we kind of like look at their play style we changed their comp a little bit to match theirs and i think we're, we'll be ready for the next time for sure but i'd say like the plays that got us off guard is what like give them the win for sure well right now especially because of the beef that we kind of had with sentinels i think everyone is like insanely motivated you know like we've been working super hard and we knew this update was coming so we i had to put the extra hours so with that loss that we had, we had to take a step back. We changed some of the roles and everyone like instantly had a boost of confidence, a boost of motivation. And like, it's like, it's like we just started playing the game. Like we have the drive that like when the Valorant came out and we were like playing all day long, we have this drive right now because we want to prove people wrong, prove the people that say Sentinels is the best team wrong. So like, I, first of all, uh, I just want to put it out there. Like I agree that Sentinels played really well and they deserve the title right now. I'm not taking like any credit for them but we're here to take it and we're like more than motivated for it for sure so it's interesting that even the team recognizes that you know what maybe we lost a step here mm -hmm. but we're ready to take it back so that that's definitely a big motivator right 100 percent, 100 percent. especially when we have people like the players we have you know like obviously no one likes losing but the motivation on this team is super high i've been on different teams like in my past in csgo and sometimes when people take losses you know they just take a step back and that's it like there's no going forward after. It's just demotivation and stuff like that. But with this team, everyone's more than willing to put in the time. So let's talk FaZe Clan Valorant Invitational. Of course, a lot of eyes will be on the host team. FaZe Clan, predominantly former Overwatch League players. Four of the five, in fact, Emily. But this is their first tournament playing as an official five-stack. So, I mean... The results so far, not so good. One game, or one series, I should say, not so great. But, like, how many tournaments, how many games do we need to see before we really start digging into the the nuances and intricacies of why this team might be underperforming and really adjudicating them? Um, so what's interesting is that when we talked about phase previously, with it, with when it was uh, Corey, Zachary, and Marv in... Uh, their like kind of debut where Jason R, by the way, pour one out for Jason R. Uh, <laughs> when when they uh, were in, I believe the T1 Nerd Street Invitational, um, and they did uh, just slightly better than 100T, and we're like, okay, like this team looks super promising. Like Corey is, you know, just insane player, right? Um, and meanwhile, we gave 100T. We we're like, oh, I don't know about 100T, even though they had kind of relatively the same thing. Now, I think, is the time to be harsh on 100 Thieves, right? Like, where we were like, okay, we've given them a month. Like, now maybe we can start to see this roster isn't working out. We saw the same thing with Sentinels. Sentinels had a really, like, in my opinion, not great debut performance. And, yes, part of that is we're going on agents we might not be comfortable with. We had to make last-minute adjustments. Like, Sinatra's trying out, um, I believe it was Sova for, like, what one of the first times his entire career in that event. And, you know, like after time, it wasn't the tournament where I bet on them, but whatever, we'll put that aside. After time, we saw Sentinels improve and now we're talking about them as one of the best teams in the league, right? With FaZe, I feel like we still have that leeway. Like, yes, Rockus is not looking great on Jet, you know? Yes, this team is not looking particularly strong. Like, 
out of the gate together. But you have to remember, he was in the league until very, very recently. Uh, in the Overwatch League, rather, until very, very recently. Uh, so I feel like we need to give this team, like, at least a month, even if they bomb out completely in the first part of this tournament. Because I do think they, they have the talent. And one of the things that people don't like to give teams is time. They want them to come out and perform super, super well right off the bat, especially when you have names that are coming from another game that's not CS. And we've talked about this before. I know Jacob has some opinions, so I'll throw it over to him in a minute. But, like, we have uh, – there's always this stigma where if you're coming from Overwatch League or if you're coming from Fortnite, uh, you don't have hands, you're <laughs> going to be terrible, uh, you can't play the game. And so I, I do think people – I am expecting to see people be very harsh on this phase lineup, um, especially if they – you know, it's kind of looking like they're not going to do so well right off the bat. Um, but before you make those judgments, I would say give them time, you know, give give Rockus specifically time to adjust to the game at a competitive level. Because, yes, he may have been playing Valorant on the ladder. He may have even been playing in scrims. I heard that he was, like, scrimming with the team. But, like, you know, it, he just was playing in Overwatch League. Uh, you know, give, give them a little bit of time because I do think there's a chance that this roster ends up clicking and working out really well, like we've seen from Sentinels and who had a similarly terrible debut performance around a superstar Overwatch League player that made the swap. So two points I want to bring up here. I think, one, these scrutiny will be very heavy on FaZe uh, because they are majority Overwatch players. Um mm-hmm for sure, other than Marved, I believe. Uh, and, like, yeah, well, like, even in our Invitational, like Emily mentioned, like, people are like, Overwatch, no hands, lol, kekadew, right? Like, they, like, people meme the hell out of Overwatch and Fortnite players just because they're not tactical FPS players, right? Like, and and I think the other part of that, too, is the fact that because what happened with Jason R was so nasty and, like, high profile, right? Like, Mm-hmm. R is not some top Counter-Strike player, right? Like, even when he played, he was like, on teams like Splice who were, like, average. But it, nonetheless, like, he he's a genuinely nice dude. I think he's pretty well regarded in the CS space as a streamer, right? And and he's an ex-pro. So I feel like a lot of people are going to get really, especially Counter-Strike fans who are also Valorant fans, are going to look at this and be like, damn, Corey, you screwed, you screwed Jason R out of a job, right? Because this is the mm-hmm. role you wanted to play, and that has been the narrative that's been spun correctly, too. Um, the other part of that too, is just because so many people talk highly about Corey. He is like, including us, like he's incredibly well-regarded because he's been very good in scrimmages and he has transitioned well himself. That does not mean his teammates have transitioned well yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that all these guys on this team are very motivated. I think Marv is going to end up actually, my prediction is he will actually end up being a star of Valorant eventually. Um, I think he's a really good player with a really high ceiling. I think it's going to take time for him to get comfortable doing what he's doing right now um, because he's not as experienced as these other guys are in terms of, of uh, being a professional esports player. Um, so I think that will take time, uh, but I, I think they'll get better. Uh, the other part I just want to, and I know we've talked about this at length, so I don't want to talk about it too much, but like Overwatch is continuing to lose its stars. I think there's a massive concern there, right, in terms of, like, three of the, like, three of the six winning uh, Overwatch World Cup players are now Valorant players. 
right? Like from this most yes. recent Overwatch World Cup, Corey and Sinatra, the stars of that Overwatch World Cup team, and Rockus probably the most charismatic on that team from a marketing perspective, right? Like these guys, like even like Rockus, who wasn't the best player ever in the Overwatch League, like dude's got it. Baby Bay too, right? Like these guys are even if they're not high or high performing. And Al, they were like super marketable. You saw them on a ton of marketing material. Even after Sinatra retired, his skin comes out and they're using him in marketing material, right? Like it it's awful. And like it speaks to Overwatch, the Overwatch League in particular, and the Overwatch uh the Overwatch League, but even further so in my opinion, like the Overwatch dev team being disconnected from uh being disconnected from the pro player. Right, like, which is something I think Valorant's gonna have to really work hard on is to be able to balance itself between the casual and the professional. Um, but man, like, it sucks if you're the Overwatch League right now. You're like your 2020, your 2020 plans are out the window because of the pandemic, which no fault of your own, right? Right. Um, and and then additionally, like, all your top tier marketable players are are leaving for a game whose esports scene has been around for like two months, three months. Right, like two months since it, since the mm-hmm. actual game came out, rather than just beta, and uh, yeah, so it's been out for two months, and players are being paid more to play Valorant in some cases than they are to be played Overwatch, which has franchise fees that range anywhere from twenty to sixty million dollars each. So that that sucks. Certainly doesn't suck to be a Valorant fan right now. Of course, the Phase Invitational ongoing. Let's give some predictions before we wrap up here on the show. Uh, despite the results that have happened. Uh, who will? Who do we think will go far in the tournament? Who do we think will take the tournament and why? Tyler, let's start with you. I will. Let's see. I'll give my top four. I'll say my top four this tournament will be. Let's go. TSM. I think they'll bounce back, even though they had a very rough first game versus Bloom. I think they'll they'll make top four. TSM, Sentinels, Immortals, and I'll say T1. I think they'll all be my top four. I think I think Cloud Nine is going to have one of their oopsie tournaments where. They've had they've been on a good run lately where they've been winning, getting second place a lot. I think they might, you know, I think they'll make the bracket stage. I don't know if they'll make top four. They, they definitely can. I'm going to go with the, I'm gonna go with the, the TSM, Mortals, Sentinels, uh, and T1. And I think my final will be... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to go with Limb. I'm going to say I'm gonna say Immortals wins. I'm going to say Immortals beat Sentinels in the finals. I think this might... Asuna looks really good. Asuna... Is so far from every every player I've seen today, outside of Roka from Bloom, he's looked on fire. His his first series was immaculate. He looks very in tune. I think Dicey on the Jet, uh, his first tournament with the team looked a bit off during the Thirty Bomb tournament. I think he looks a lot more comfortable in that primary operator role now to go alongside Asuna's crazy aggression as the ace entry player rifler on the team. So. Uh, I'm going to jump on the, uh, I'm jumping on Jacob's bandwagon for now. He's been riding the Immortals train for a bit. I'm going to stick my, I'm going to say Immortals versus Sentinels. I think that'd be a very exciting final. Asuna versus Sinatra, the two most aggressive entry players in North America. Give me that final. And of course, Asuna is very busy right yep. now playing in this tournament. Otherwise, he would be in our chat breaking news. Yeah. Maybe breaking news. Uh, Jacob, who, who do you have winning and why? I think I'm going to hop on the Immortals train too. I I actually do think that they could win this tournament. Um, Sentinels, I think, will be competitive. If I have to put make a top four, it's going to be Sentinels, Genji, Immortals, and TSM. Um, I think T1, while very good, is beatable on certain days by teams that are put together. I think that Immortals and Genji are getting better. Like they, I like... The teams like Immortals and Genji are succeeding in Valorant right now in North American Valorant 
because they show that you don't have to be like the hundreds of thousands of dollar salary swingers that you can like invest a decent amount of money and build from players who are lesser known and but also very hungry. That's what I like about Asuna and and some of the other players on those two teams is like these guys have way more to gain by being good than like Skadoodle and Brax. Not to say that like Skadoodle and Brax care or don't care. I'm not saying that. I don't want that to be misconstrued. However, Azuna or Skadoodle and Brax could go stream tomorrow and stop playing all together like professionally and like still make a ton of money. Asuna and and some of the people on Jinji and Immortals don't have that opportunity. They would be popular, but not to the same level of popularity as the people on T1 and TSM. And so I think these guys like want everything. Like this is their future, and I feel like they're incredibly hungry and young players. And like I like that they're doing well. That makes me happy for this scene's development. Emily, who you got? Well, I was gonna pick Immortals, but now that sounds super boring. Wow, we're bandwagoning. Go, go! I need, I need the whistle. I hop on my train. <laughs> That's not very nice because I was gonna pick them anyway. But second of all, I will move then. Uh, I will say top four teams. I think it's still gonna be Sentinels, Gen G getting out of Group A, Group B. I still think it's gonna be TSM, C9, Group C, T1, Team NB, and Group D. Oof. That's a weird one. Uh, I don't. I guess my my bet would be I'm not sure about whatever team gets out of Group B, whether it's uh, Hundred Thieves or Phase uh, or China Win or China Win manages to upset people. So uh, for some reason, I don't think it's going to be a great tournament for T1 or C9. I'm not really sure why I feel that way. Um, the last time I picked Sentinels, they did not do well, but I really like how they're playing right now. I also like Team Envy a lot, actually. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't think like this will be their. <laughs> yeah, what? Like, I, don't, yeah. I don't think this, yeah. this specific tournament will be their tournament. It'd be cool if it was, but I feel like they're almost there. Like maybe the the next tournament is going to be their tournament. So like my dark horse would be Team Envy. And I'll pick Sentinels to try to maintain a, like a, a some sort of winning streak. But the interesting thing is that NA, at least we have a ton of teams to talk about. Whereas in the U, we only have G2. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to spend forever. I just want to say that Envy is another one of those ones that I'm rooting for right now. Yeah, for the, for, well, for, clearly for you the just fact pumped that your fist well, no, when you mentioned for, Envy. Like, for the fact that they are very similar to TSM, they have some veteran CS players who, yep. like FNS, who I don't think it got nearly the chance that they needed to. However, they also have some guys that are really young and really good, and that's why Team Envy excites me because they're another one of those teams that get another redemption arc here in in uh, Valorant. I like those teams. Those teams they're are very right similar. Now. Actually, TSM and Envy play very similar. They pair for the double op teams in North America with Calypso well, story, and Mumbai. Their stories are very similar too. Like where they yeah. come from, their backgrounds are really similar. If you look at the players on both teams. Like they have young, they have young stars, and they have people who who like are past their prime in CS, but but like having a chance to be good players in in this uh in this scene. So I like it. I like it. What I like. Faye's is... not looking so hot right now, Arda. Faye's no. not looking so hot. No, they are not. But I, just like Emily said, I will not adjudicate their demise until a few tournaments from now. This is their first tournament, so I'm gonna let this one slide. Uh, what I do want to see. 
all I want to see is a good run from China win. I like that strong mm -hmm. opening. I don't mind if they lose to Immortals here. They still have a chance to get out of that group, squeak out of that group. And honestly, FaZe Clan and 100 Thieves, with all due respect to the players on those teams, I think he goes a beast. Those are winnable games for China win. So maybe they do have a great chance to get out Mexico. of this group D. The one missing player, Decop. So that's it. That's all for us here on the ESPN Esports Valorant Show. The full interview with Zabroza will be posted on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash ESPN Esports. Don't forget, Tyler has the Power Ranking Show every Monday at 9 p.m. Eastern and this show every Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern. All things Valorant. Enjoy the FaZe Clan Valorant Invitational and we will catch you next Thursday to unpack it all.